Well, hey you, hello there, every person, everywhere. Well, hello again, everybody. Welcome to season three of Every Person Everywhere. I am your host, Lynn, and this is stuff that you can relate to, hopefully. So last season, I talked a little bit about how I started figuring out the science behind creating an effective budget to travel so that way you don't run out of money halfway through as I did in Iceland and you don't find ways to lose resources in other ways like I did in Colorado and Texas. And I also learned how to prioritize and take advantage of resources that were readily available. And so I started becoming more and more attuned to looking for deals and looking for cheaper ways more fun ways to do things. Meeting friends who have friends or family in places that I could go and visit, and then utilizing them. And I would dare not say take advantage of them because the offer stands if they ever come to the States and need a place to stay that if I don't have space for them, I would at least offer to pay to put them up. And so this would become a recurrent theme throughout my time in Europe. But first, I left off with how I got there and how I just started living there. So once again, sleepless day, sleepless night, sleepless day became because of six hours of jet lag, give or take. And I had a massive layover in Iceland. I almost fell asleep on a bench in the airport. I was there for about five hours, five and a half hours, just waiting and biding my time. I had a gravlax sandwich, which is smoked steamed graved salmon. Um, which they make over drying racks and salt racks, basically. And maybe some lingonberry salad or something like that. And I think that day I might have had some sort of fruity beverage. I'm not exactly sure what it was anymore. I really wanted to go explore, but even though it was my first time in Iceland in the summer and I had five hours to explore, the weather was awful and trying to organize a car rental for three hours would have been too much. It was easier to, unfortunately, just hang out in the the airport and the airplane terminal. I really wish that I would have found a way to optimize that and, you know, go soak in the Blue Lagoon. But when you're moving house from a different country to another country, that's simply not the case. It's simply not that feasible. So needless to say, I had to make not good on doing that. So once again, I definitely owe myself another visit to Iceland. I'm not exactly sure when it'll happen, but you know, one of these days, um, looking to hopefully take somebody with me this time once again, um, because I don't know, I've gone there alone for layovers, obviously, but, um, every time I've gone there, which has been once so far, otherwise I've taken somebody along. So that would come to pass. I would eventually make my way to the plane. Now, Iceland is GMT minus one, whereas England is GMT zero. If you recall back to talking about this in season one, um, jet lag becomes a very real reality very quickly. So I think it was probably about seven o'clock at night in America when I got on the plane, which means that after flying for six hours or so, 
that would put you normally at one-ish in the morning. But instead, you have four hours time difference, and that puts you at about five o'clock in the morning. Well, needless to say, I got to watch part of the sunrise in Iceland. It was summer, so the, the uh, Icelandic sun was pretty much always up. And uh, admittedly, there wasn't too much to it because it was very rainy that day. It was very foggy, gray, and rainy. So even if I wanted to go on a walk, which I'd initially planned just because I didn't save enough money for the move itself, I was planning on going on a walk to Reykjanes, which is right next to the airport. About a 35-minute walk, give or take. There's a little coffee shop there. I could, you know, stand on the pier and look out into the Arctic Ocean, say that I did that once more, but instead it was too gray and rainy and I didn't feel like dissembling my suitcase to try and get clean clothes if I were to have gotten downtrodden and soiled and whatnot. So there was that. I think ultimately... I arrived in the country at like 6 or 7 a.m., if I'm not mistaken, and then my next flight to get over to England wouldn't be until about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. All was said and done, it was about 10 p.m. till I landed in England. Very tired. But what I'm very thankful for is the fact that we didn't have anything massive to do the next day that unless we wanted to go and get some more paperwork sorted out. So we had our student ID that we had to procure. We had our documents to turn into the registrar within 48 hours of arrival. Obviously, we needed to get our keys to get into our flats to stay there. Um, and I say we because one of my friends who I was rooming with for the first year that I was over there, Austin, he actually got to the airport pretty much a half hour before myself and so he offered to wait around for me which was very nice so our first experience together as roommates as friends and as you know just general figuring out this foreign land that neither of us have ever been to we were together in the beginning which was nice so austin it was an african-american man with um long dreads think probably about six foot five Austin if you're listening to this I'm so sorry if I under or over quoted your height um, all I know is that you tower over me and you're very tall um, very worldly individual himself he grew up in Arizona did undergrad in I believe Texas and then he was the only African-American individual in his entire graduating class in I think University of Bismarck something like that somewhere in South Dakota um, so Suffice to say, um, he, he was quite used to being an outsider in his own right and very used to doing all kinds of strange worldly things as far as the domains of travel goes. And but then he decided, just like the rest of us, getting into school in America is expensive. He wanted to go to California, but didn't. And then we ended up going to uh, Burdell together. My other roommate, Darian, was from San Francisco. Um, he played football. He was learning Portuguese. He was a big fan of the Portuguese national football team, well, soccer, as Americans call it, and actually got to have a meet and greet with them. It was very spontaneous. He just kind of abruptly left the house one night at like seven o'clock, and I said, where'd you go? And he's like, check Instagram later. 
and he found out where the tour bus was and he went up to them and hung out with them in the tour bus for like an hour so needless to say another wild child and then there was drew who was my other roommate he was from texas and everything about him bled texas besides his accent like he spoke like somebody from new england but his father was a preacher um his mom did something relatively similar if i'm not mistaken uh the whole nine yards the, the whole nine yards and it was it was remarkable just the the mixture of us in this house of four people so i would meet darian i think we met him in a train station like obviously we knew him before going there but we met him for the first time in king's cross train station we were sitting on a bench there waiting on the, the platform and he rocked up to us and we derped around central london together for the first time so when I talk more in depth about being in London, my first couple of episodes are just going to be living like a tourist. Just like anywhere, after you're there for about two years or so, it all starts to blend together. And, you know, it's, it starts to become like anywhere else in the world. It starts to become like any major city. and functions very much like one. There's the ins and outs of the Londoner and the Londonese. Um, people don't usually talk to each other on the tube unless you know, you have a reason to, or something really catches your eye. Like I had people talk to me about the books I've been reading, which I think was a mixture of, you know, self-help guides and Harry Potter, um, for the most part when I wasn't just playing games on my phone. And it, it functioned a lot like a big city, but still I got to live like a tourist for the first two to three months, um, leading up to my departure for the States for the first time since moving. Um, and I reminisce about it now, and I can still recall very, very fond emotions. I was a stranger in a strange land, and I was trying to find a way to live my best life. It was awesome. So, anyhow, back to the plot line. Austin met me in the airport. Um, Heathrow Airport is, I'm pretty sure, the biggest airport in Europe. And if it's not that one, it would be Hedgoen, which is, I believe I pronounced it right, the main airport in Oslo, Norway. That airport I remember being particularly massive as well. Otherwise, Heathrow is the most trafficked. It's a through fare for most cross-continental flights and most cross-Atlantic flights, if not all of them for the most part, anyhow. Um, and it's one of the cheaper ones. It's an international hub. Massive airport. Everything's on the left side of the road now. Um, Fahrenheit becomes Celsius inches become centimeters um and it becomes very apparent that i'm in a foreign world already just based off of well getting off the plane and hearing welcome to england please have your passports ready at the gate in a very pseudo posh accent of course the first myth that i dispelled immediately within maybe 10 minutes of being in the airport itself was nobody speaks like a posh victorian and if they do they're normally taking the piss out of themselves Nobody speaks like that anymore. Just like there's probably 13 regional variants of accents in America at a minimum, same goes for England. In fact, there's probably even more. It's very, very specific to the locale and the town you grew up with and the influences that happened there historically. So somebody who's from London has their own particular strange internationalized accent. Somebody who's Cockney will sound very, very different 
Somebody who's from Birmingham will have their own accent. Somebody who's from the South Downs and the surrounding area, somebody who's Kentish, they'll have their own accents as well. And I would come to learn the differences between these as time went on. But that was one of the first things I noticed by listening and just observing that everybody had something a little bit different about them as far as their accents go. So I asked for help to try to figure out where the Terminal 1 was, and it turns out that I was at the clear opposite end of Terminal 2, but I walked all the way to the wrong end of Terminal 1 and effectively had to walk all the way back to where I just was to find Austin. So I told him I just got my exercise, my first real exercise in Europe. I know, not, not, not a great brag, but still, that was the first time I ever got a workout in when I was in Europe. Uh, walking about two miles through airport terminals, give or take, is what I estimated it to be later. So, I eventually met up with him. We got to campus via Uber. Our welcome to the country is people in central London um, have a very unique tirade of mental health issues just because being in a city takes a lot out of you if you're not meant for the city. I know it did for me, like... My mental health wasn't the greatest in times when I lived overseas, but that's because I meant to be basically doing what I'm right now as I record this, which is driving down back roads and living in a small nothing town and driving into the city when I choose. If I'm a half hour drive from the city, that's perfect, and I am now. Um, and then a different city, which is the one I work in, is a 50 minute commute. So. London is very busy. Greater London is very busy. And everything is very confined and constrained, except for the airport. The airport felt massive, but even so, a one-way street in America could fit two cars in Britain, is what it felt like. Everything was very condensed and small. There were hedgerows everywhere. Everybody had privacy, or privacy, as you'd say over there. Very unique. And even in the dark, I saw this. There wasn't much I could make out in shadows in the dark because, you know, it was 10 o'clock at night. Our first warm welcome, speaking of mental health issues, was some jackars threw rotten eggs at us. Fortunately, they hit... We were, we were actually stood by a bus stop and didn't realize it. So, of course, the bus driver looked confused when we said we were waiting for a taxi. And he said, well, there's another thing over there, maybe this is the bus stop which I would come to laugh about later, and so would Austin, and we'd, you know, learn eventually the hard way how dumb we were at that point in time. But fortunately, the glass that we were standing behind took the brunt of the force of the eggs. So I looked at him and said, huh, well, I guess that's a hero's welcome to the country now, isn't it? I hope that doesn't set the pace for the rest of my time here. Well, besides almost getting into a fist fight because somebody decided it'd be a great idea to walk through me instead of around me, while I was on my way to get lunch with a friend after getting back to the country, after being away in Finland, um, aside from almost getting into that fist fight, which was my first three months being there, I fared pretty well. Um, nothing else like that happened the entire time I was there. And that's saying something considering that my last two field works were in psychiatric wards, which I will, of course, also get to in due time. So we got to the campus and nobody knew who we were, even though I'd been calling them, like I said earlier in another season, pretty much every day for several months. So they found a very small spare flat and we decided one day, until we get our housing sorted out, one day I would take the floor 
with some blankets and then the other day he would take the bed because they only gave us one flat as they were trying to figure out where we stayed because we arrived late nobody was in from housing because we arrived late so they couldn't ask them so they just pulled a spare key of a room they knew it was empty so we got our first shower in the very small showers with the very hard feeling water mind you the water feels and tastes hard over there because of the lime salts and the lime scale and the fact that it comes from you know the actual breadth of the the ocean and it's not coming from different runoffs and bays like we have in america so water is very different over there which is why a cup of tea with the same tea bag tastes very different everywhere you go in england and everywhere you go in europe which I came to learn from tea connoisseurs. After all, uh, Princess Catherine, I believe her name was from Portugal, brought tea and imported tea back in, I think the 1300s to England. And she started drinking it with the royals in the palace. And they said, what's that thing you got? And they tried it and needless to say, that is the origin story of why Britain is obsessed with tea is because a royal from Portugal brought it to the royals of England a couple hundred ago. It wasn't until about 1907 where tailors of Harrogate would actually find a place to sustainably cultivate their own tea crops and import the tea crops to then grow their tea, just because obviously the climate in England is not always the best. So the black tea produced by tailors of Harrogate, very, very unique flavor, very, very unique flavor indeed um, compared to other black teas. Lipton is mostly imported from Spain and Portugal, but they also have their own growing companies in England itself now. And I think it might actually be Wales that they grow most of their tea in. So I had my first cup of tea in the morning at Costco or Costa. Yeah, Costa is what it's called over there. Costco is where you go shopping in America for like random supplies. Costa is one of their chain coffee shops. So that was another thing I noticed immediately walking around the town of Uxbridge during the day sorting out things on campus at night and just looking at things to do where I was. Spoiler alert, Uxbridge is a small town, much like the one I grew up in. Um, it's part of London and it's a borough of London, but it still functions as a small college town. So there's not much to do there except go out, go eat and get go get wasted and go to the club that's in Uxbridge called Attic, which used to be called Liquid or you could go to the club on campus or the bar on campus. They had open mic nights and band nights, which is actually where I met some of my closest friends at those two functions, just because I like performing and it was an opportunity to perform. I mean, I wasn't getting paid, but still, what else was I going to do with myself on a random Tuesday night in a foreign country? And it worked, it helped me make a lot of friends that liked my voice and came up to me afterwards and told me I should make something of it. Spoiler alert, I eventually did and hence every person and hence this podcast. So, you know, John, Alice, Sharon, Mike, other John, wherever you guys are now, I hope that I make you proud. And I know that whatever you're doing, you're probably making me proud as well, my friends. So that is a whirlwind stop of the first week, I guess you could say. Obviously, more things happened. We had to sort out paperwork. We had to go to the recruitment day leading up to Freshers' Fair. My next episode, I guess I'll talk a bit more about the actual nitty-gritty of my campus and the actual nitty-gritty of being a student there and living there. We woke up, we got our actual apartment sorted out for us the very next day, and we were on our merry well way. 
And so it came to pass that here I was, stranded beautifully in a place I had never been before. And the next thing was next was I have a stipend. I need to figure out a budget to keep myself alive, but also have fun. And so I'll get to that in the next episode. Till this, I add my beautiful silence.